uh, specifically what the what I think the developer should should help pay for or even fully pay for is to um, make sure that the the roads in and out of the um, the streets are wide enough to accommodate the traffic that all the traffic signals um, to and from you know welcome to Idaho speaks the place to learn about candidates and issues important to Idaho my name is Ed and I created this channel to overcome the media bias that plagues our communities and our state when presented all the information I believe you the voter will make the best decision for our future. At Idaho Speaks, we will give you the side of the story being hidden by mainstream media and big tech giants. Idaho Speaks, your issues, your candidates, your state. Welcome to Idaho Speaks. We are talking Coeur d'Alene City Council today. Man, this has been a fantastic month. We have had people come on and I bet your head's spinning. I know all of you who have tuned in, and there's more than 5,000 of you downloading the episodes. Thank you so much. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. It's because you're downloading these episodes that other people are going to learn about Idaho Speaks. And with Idaho Speaks, you get to hear the candidates in their own voice without any kind of media bias tell you how they're going to govern. We're electing these people to do our job, our representatives. This is the way our system works. We vote for them, then they go into office, and they decide how to spend our taxpayer money for our benefit. So often we're stuck with what's published in the newspaper, the bias from one point of view or another. And, you know, we've been dealing with bias for probably 245 years and in one way or another. Idaho Speaks gives you just the front row seat view to listen to the candidates with your own ears and make up your mind. With me in studio today, he's running for Coeur d'Alene City Council. It is J.D. Claridge. Claridge, excuse me. Did I pronounce? I didn't pronounce that right at all. Claridge. The second time you did. Yeah, there we go. J.D. <laughs> Claridge. J.D., thanks for taking time to come in studio today. Thanks for having me in. Okay, so we're going to start with a hard question. This is always the hardest one. Ready? Who is J.D.? Well, J.D. is a, a uh, family man and business owner. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Kara, for over 20 years now. Uh, we've got uh, five beautiful children. We've got four daughters and one son. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you never get to use the bathroom. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and some of them are, are some of those girls are heading the, the teen years right now, so definitely don't get a lot of time in the bathroom myself. So uh, I've uh, been, I'm also a business owner. I've got a company called XCraft. We make drones. We develop them. We actually design and manufacture them. So that's been uh, an experience of mine for the last seven years or so, um, starting a business. So uh, <laughs> why are you running for city council? You, you, know, you got a great family. You got a great business. Because I, I know about XCraft. I've, I've met you before at the Innovation Collective. Why do this politics thing? Well, I wasn't busy enough was the main problem. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I, I really have seen a lot of, um, I would say, representation that doesn't represent the people. And I was actually at what, what kind of got me most interested in, in potentially running was I went to 
the to protest the mass mandate discussions that were happening uh, at city council um, around a year ago, maybe a little longer than that. And uh, I just listened to that, you know, that conversation as they were discussing that, and and I realized that there really was not a representation of the people there. It seemed most of them were they, they might have been talking about the experts. Um, but they weren't really considering how it might affect the people that they supposedly represent. And that, that made me a little angry, actually. And it made me want to get in there and actually represent the people. What, what, uh, what about the mandate discussion made you angry? What, what specifically was, was the topic du jour that kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back? I would say it was primarily that I never really heard anyone say, my constituents think this way, or I've been hearing this from my constituents. There, there was a little bit of that discussion, but for the most part, it was experts talking about all their views and all their kind of fear mongering, I think, uh, related to COVID and, and other things. And, and I think that was a scare tactic that is intended to, to get people to fall in line with what the, you know, the narrative is. And, I didn't feel I was out there um, protesting, making my voice heard against the mask mandate, but they were not listening to us out there, although they probably had to listen a little bit because we did get a little bit loud sometimes, but uh, they didn't change what they were, you know, they ended up doing. And it seemed that they had already made up their mind ahead of time. And so I was not very thrilled with that. Okay. So... And I'm glad we went down this topic because I, I wasn't actually going to talk about mandates. But um, when elected to city council, how would you govern on uh, such an issue? What's You talk about getting the constituents involved, but too often when you invite the public to come to city council meeting, they don't show up. I, I've been a city councilor and you know we send out notice after notice after notice and Nice big hall, lots of seats, plenty of space available, parking lot. It's easy to park and nobody shows. What's JD going to do different that will actually get input from your constituents? And then also, if this mandate continues or if this pandemic continues, what would be your philosophy as a leader for the city of Coeur d'Alene? Thank you. That's a good question. Well, as far as involving the people, I do plan to to listen. I mean, I want to be uh, fully available through email and I want to actually respond to everybody who, who contacts me and make sure that I do send a response because that's been one of the problems is that I have reached out an email and I know my wife also has reached out an email to um, the school board and others and they send an email, but they, um, you know, we send an email, but we don't usually get a response from some people. And, and so I want it, even if my response is, hey, thank you, I received receive your input, you know, this is where we're at on, on this issue. I think that's good. It lets people know that they have been heard. As far as how we engage people, I think it it's probably unrealistic that we're going to get people to city council meetings. I mean, people are busy there in the evenings when they want to be spending time with their family. But I do think that people are getting more engaged, and I think it's through other channels. It's usually email or um, other other ways that they are contacting you know, their representatives. And I want to make sure that I'm a person, you know, I'm a representative that listens and hears their voice and lets them know that they're being heard. Podcasting is a great vehicle. I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe I'll start one. So, okay. I, 
I went to your website and your Facebook page and kind of in preparation for today's episode, I saw that you have uh, some top priorities, three, three top pi- priorities specifically listed. And I wonder if it'd be okay if we just have a little conversation about those three priorities. I'd be glad to. Okay. So the first one you listed was low crime rate. Now, as a city councilor, how will you impact and lower crime? Well, thankfully, we don't have a high crime rate in this area. It's it's a wonderful area, and I think our police force does an excellent job of of managing that and and crime. I do think that there's areas that they uh, the the police force could have more funding in, and and potentially diverting some funds that are being used for other areas. Like the last city council meeting that I went to, um, there was a. a big discussion about how we were going to, how the city council was going to put a, uh, a new piece of artwork on a government building downtown, which I love art. Uh, I do think that we've got a beautiful city with a lot of amazing art in it. I think that the, so the cost of that, that particular piece of art, I think was $70,000. And although I, I like art, I think that that $70,000 probably could have been better spent on another police officer or potentially a substation downtown or something. I mean, there's, there's been, I've noticed an increase in graffiti downtown. I work downtown, my, my business is down there and I've noticed more graffiti and, um, also some more, I would say maybe, uh, homeless people that, that kind of hang out on a long, longer term and, and, Obviously, you know, I think we need to have programs and we do have programs for, for those, um, uh, those people. But I think that having a more support for our police uh, through uh, additional funds that maybe are allocated from these, you know, art projects and other things could be a good idea. That's good. I appreciate that. Um, there was an issue. Let's go back a few months. I, I don't know if you remember this one and I'm, I'm probably not even going to get all the details right. So we'll, we'll fumble through this here together. But we had, during the pandemic, we had a lot of issues while Washington was shut down and Idaho was open. We had a lot of folks from Spokane coming into Coeur d'Alene. And there was a period of time where the city council took an action on the operation of bars in Coeur d'Alene. And then they passed an ordinance with regards to reporting fights. Are you familiar with that ordinance? I'm sorry, I'm not okay, familiar with that. Okay, right. that's all right. I'm barely familiar with it. Uh, the, the basic gist of it was, is in order for somebody to be charged with um, uh, fighting, there, there had to be an external report. And the reporting uh, for fighting had been changed, loosened up so that more people could be arrested. Obviously, fights in a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning is a, is a bad deal for a town that relies a lot on tourism. Just thinking outside the box, ignoring this specific case for a second, to give the listeners kind of an idea of how J.D. thinks, how would you address the issue of excessive fights in downtown Coeur d'Alene? Well, I think there was pressure during that time when uh, Spokane was shut down and Coeur d'Alene was open. Um, a lot of people, like you said, had had come into town. And I, I also think that the stress level 
in general was higher. I mean, everybody else during the pandemic was, was stressed out. And so I don't blame them for some, you know, at least for, for wanting to be here where it's open and, and, you know, engage. I don't like them bringing, you know, crime and problems with them, obviously. And so I think that having a part of, honestly, I think the problem is that we had a, <laughs> I believe the city had a, a mask mandate during that same time. So the police were supposedly trying to actually stop real crime from happening and enforce this this mask mandate at the same time. I actually heard the police chief say during that mask mandate discussion, do you want us to be policing this on every, you know, ha- hand out a hundred citations at a bar when we go in there and nobody's wearing a mask? And, and that's just a horrible wasted use of taxpayer money to have police policing that when they should be dealing with real crime. You know, that that's a, that's a very interesting point. I'll combine with your last one where you talked about $70,000 for a piece of art and that, that could almost pay for another police officer. And then the city council created an additional workload without providing additional labor resources. And sure, I, I think it kind of created... Um, a scenario that we got this summer where, you know, tensions were high. And no, that's a, that's a very, a very observant point. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. So what I want to do now is I want to switch to one of the other priorities that you have on your website, uh, lower property taxes. Now, um, I, I always ask the candidates some questions about the budgets. What, what is the current city budget for CDA and how much of that budget comes from property taxes? I don't know. Okay. So from a standpoint of lowering property taxes, what, as city councilor, what's your ideas? What would you, what would you be focusing on? I do think that uh, with property values increasing at, at the rate they've been increasing, that, that has a, uh, an effect of filling the coffers, uh, filling the city coffers significantly. Uh, because obviously the property tax is based on the you know percentage of the value of the property. Uh, I also think that, so we're getting this influx of additional cash already. And we don't, we don't need to, um, I don't think that we need as much money as we're pulling in right now because the property values are so high. I think that we could potentially reduce the percentage on property taxes so it would lower the tax burden. I also think that the the property tax exemption for homeowners should be a, instead of being a fixed value, it should be also a percentage that's based on the value of the property so that it will also, you know, rise and fall, usually rise with the value of the property and, and homeowners will get more of their, you know, they'll get to keep more of their tax money. How do you deal with the property tax increases for senior citizens who eventually just get priced out of their home? Well, I think that goes back to the same same question is let's let's lower the property tax percentage so that it, it remains relatively consistent. Um, so people are just living in their homes. They're they're not uh, you know purchasing property and you know benefiting from the increase in value or selling their homes necessarily. Um, so they're not 
benefiting from the increase in property values, but they're definitely being hurt by that because every year their property taxes are going up and up and up. So I think that there should be, I think we as city council should definitely look at where we can reduce the overall taxes on homeowners so that uh, it does not have the effect of, you know, pricing people out of their homes. We're going to take a little break to hear from a sponsor. Coeur d'Alene needs a conservative mayor who listens to the voice of its residents. Joe Alfieri is our only solid choice for mayor in this coming November 2nd vote. A leader and a listener, Alfieri is strong on conservative values. With community burdensome growth already underway, we need sound planning and strong insight limiting local government control over our future. Planning is everything. No easy endorsements, no rubber stamping of decisions. Joe Alfieri has the sound, moral, and strong talent of a solid decision maker. Vote Joe Alfieri for mayor, November 2nd, 2021. Paid for by Vote Joe for CDA campaign, Caroline Alfieri, treasurer. Excellent. Thank you. So the third one on your website, third priority, which not necessarily in this order, I'm just saying that this was the third one on the website, a responsible growth. And I'm sure everybody who's listening, this is, this is kind of at the tip of the, the, their tongue. It, it's almost in every single conversation you hear. So when elected to city council, what does responsible growth look like to you? Well, that's a really good question. What does responsible growth mean to me? Well, I think we have a an influx of new people moving here, and every everybody knows that they see that they they see the traffic problems, um, they see their you know the, the all the houses being sold around them, and they've heard how much their neighbors are getting for their properties and things, and uh, we see the kind of bottlenecks in in stores and banks and everywhere else, there's just more people here. And, and the, the infrastructure isn't really set up yet to support that. And I think that um, part of that blame, maybe for the infrastructure not being there, is, is on the developers and on city council who has allowed kind of this development without the support of you know the roads and the streets and the traffic signals and honestly schools and fire departments and police and all of that you need that infrastructure around the growth you can't just you know uh, reallocate um, 20 acres to a multi-thousand uh, unit uh, apartment complex and not think that you're you're gonna have you're not going to have problems with traffic and and uh, you know EMS services and everything else you really need to, uh, I don't think the taxpayer should carry that burden of um, that infrastructure that's needed for growth. I think that the developers that are putting in these new um, developments need to uh, have a, a comprehensive plan and pay for the infrastructure that's around their, their developments. So what, what would be then the long-term, I mean, because this is always a balancing act, um, you, you put it all on the next guy and then there is no next guy and people still want to move here. But if there's no development that's happening, then economics, basic 
law of supply and demand kick in the gear. High demand, low supply, what happens to the price? It skyrockets. And now property taxes based on property value skyrocket and and grandma and grandpa can no longer afford to live where they're at as well as nobody who's renting can afford to rent. So there's always this balancing act. And and I think what the voters want to hear from you is where is the balance? How much growth is allowable in in your term as city councilor versus, you know, where do you draw that line? Well, I do think that obviously some amount of growth is good. I don't think that we should just shut everything down and say, no, we're not going to build anything else for all these people that are moving here. A lot of the people that move here are, you know, I would call them refugees in some areas. I mean, they're coming from California. They're coming from Portland. They're coming from Seattle. They're escaping. <laughs> they're escaping, yes. And uh, they, they, you know, obviously the, the property prices that they've sold their places for uh, are much higher than what they um, are seeing here, and they're driving up the values. So I think I do think we have low inventory. I think we've always had low inventory, but that problem has been exacerbated over the last couple of years, or at least last year. And um, so we need, we do need growth. We do need building. We do need to develop areas. There's a few. I mean, there's still developable, developable areas in Coeur d'Alene. And I think we need a balance of, of not a lot of high density housing because what will that look like in, you know, 20 or 30 years if we just, you know, put apartment complexes, huge apartment complexes everywhere. I think we need a balance of some apartments and so some more affordable housing and then some, a lot of bread and butter houses, I call them, which is basically your three bedroom, two bath houses that, you know, families um, can live in they've got you know it's a single family house and those are what we have a lot of low inventory on and i think that's what people that's what we need a lot of those uh and then and then some higher you know larger homes but i think the prime the primary uh, building that happens in this area should be to support the kind of middle class family which is that that three bedroom two bath house Okay, so, but let me bring this back to what you just said a few minutes ago, that you you really wanted the developers to cover the infrastructure cost. And, you know, having been a former city councilor, this is kind of hawkish on this stuff. So paint a picture for me. What infrastructure costs do you put over to the developer so that we can kind of gauge an idea of how much more expensive it is going to be to build that three-bedroom, two-bath house? Well, the, the developer needs to consider as he's uh, or she is is planning out an area um, where they're putting you know these new these new houses and, and apartments potentially in a park maybe I mean something that's going to be very attractive and they've they've done this out on the prairie too quite a bit um, people are going to want to live there and and they're going to bring a lot of uh, you know traffic uh, and other increases in infrastructure needs with them as the people move in. So, uh, specifically, what the what I think the developer should should help pay for, or even fully pay for, is to um, make sure that the the roads in and out of the um, the streets are wide enough to accommodate the traffic, that all the traffic signals 
um, to and from, you know, specifically in those high traffic areas, which is between that new um, area and and town, are are going to be very. Um, although the the streets can probably handle the traffic as far as you know, they won't like deteriorate. The it's going to be stop and go traffic so unless you make the the roads wide enough. You make the traffic signals be able to handle. You potentially put in traffic signals uh, where they're needed. Um, there's also uh, a cost of uh, EMS services that's going to happen. So having the developer also uh, at least have a plan for where where these new, um, uh, you know, p- potentially fire stations and police stations or um, or those type of things need to go in uh, to support this larger community that's going in. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So, um, you know, before we wrap up, are there are there any things that you'd like to share with the listener that we haven't talked about? Yeah, I think that I am very much a proponent of freedom and uh, supporting our Constitution, supporting freedom. And I think that our city council and a lot of our city leaders have not done a good job of representing the people. They might represent a small portion of people that live downtown, and, and that's good. But I think there's a lot more to this town than just the downtown. And, and most of the kind of focus of city council has been in that area. I want to I wanna also represent the people of Coeur d'Alene Place and, you know, the trails and um, Hawk's Nest and, you know, all, all in north of town around the high schools. I think, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, are that live in that area that I don't think that they feel that they're being representative. I, I you know, they're being represented. I live in that area and um, I'm not, I don't, I don't live downtown. I work downtown, but I commute out to, um, you know, the uh, near Coeur d'Alene place. And I, I don't feel like my uh, views are fully represented by the the current folks on city council. So let's talk about those views because one of the things that took place during that mask mandate, I'm going to, I'm going to draw on that just because it's, it's so fresh and, and it, you know, not to be controversial, it's not the goal, but again, to understand the way you would legislate, the way you would, you would pass ordinances. But city council took a position when was, when they were asked by the chief, they specifically Kiki, Kiki Miller was asked, by the chief, well, the council was, and Kiki answered, how do you want me to proceed with ticketing somebody for not wearing a mask if they say they have a medical reason? And Kiki's response, we can go back to the video if I need to and play it, Kiki's response was, well, they should show their papers or take the ticket and then disprove it with a letter from their doctor. That was, that was her suggestion. It never made it into the final ordinance, but that was kind of the gut check reaction that I think our listeners are kind of looking for from you. How would you have handled that question from the chief of police? What do you want us to do if somebody says they just can't wear a mask? Well, first of all, the hair stood up on the back of my neck when that response was given. Um, I, I do, you know, I have <laughs> kind of brought up Nazi uh, Germany kind of, kind of mentality which obviously is is um not good and as far as how i would manage that first of all i don't think that city council should have 
had to deal with uh, a mask mandate. I don't think that's appropriate. They're they're not um, they're not medical experts, first of all, and they uh, do not. I mean, although they can listen to medical experts, I don't think that they are uh, the best ones to make that decision. So I don't think that uh, city council should have even been handling that uh, that question. But if that had come to me, I would have been on the side of freedom for the people. I I do think that uh, if if an individual wants to wear a mask and they feel that it uh, will help them and protect them, then they should do that. I don't think that they should, you know, push that on me, and I don't want to push that on them to force them to do it. I think it's it's we we do I I believe live in a free country, and I do think that the the Constitution grants us freedoms, and we have the right to say what we want on our bodies and in our bodies, and we don't need anyone else to tell us uh, how to do that. We, we have freedoms in that. So let me play devil's advocate because again. People would crucify me if I didn't at least ask the question. So take this with the spirit of, I got to play devil's advocate. We had a health, health crisis. And for a period of time last year, at the beginning of this, when we didn't understand the disease, fear were, was driving the entire nation to make decisions that we arguably we could armchair quarterback now and say we shouldn't have made. We shouldn't have gone down that road, but we did. We are in a tourist town. People come here because, well, they they love this the location. We we've got really all of God's amenities available, wide open, and well, not just God's, but man's as well. But how do you balance the health safety factor that was so prevalent in mid year last year? with your role as a city councilor, as an elected representative, to protect the people from health issues? Because that, that really is part of the government mandate to protect people. How do you balance freedom and protection? That's a good question. I think that, honestly, it is not city council's job to protect the people from a virus. Uh, I do think that there are agencies, Panhandle Health and others, that it's appropriate for them to uh, make recommendations for the people to to follow. And they did that. I also think that we were in the midst of uh, a media-induced fear pandemic that was causing people, I think, to be fearful, as it was intended, but also to make bad decisions. You never, I, I do not believe that fear is ever a good uh, motivator for any decision. And uh, I, I think that sound logic and reason uh, should be used, even in the midst of something like that. And so if I was on city council during that time, I, I would have been uh, governing from that place of not giving into the fear to make a decision that's based out of fear but make a decision that's based on logic and it might have been to recommend masks or something like that but it uh, my decision would not have been to mandate masks excellent i appreciate that how do people learn more about your campaign or even help you out with donations yeah they can visit my website at jdforcda.com 
or I'm also on Facebook under that same uh, name, which is J-D-F-O-R-C-D-A. So you can check out my website and learn more about my my beliefs and how I would legislate. And uh, also on Facebook, same thing, and, and check there for updates as well. J.D., thank you so much for taking the time to come in studio today. Thanks so much, Ed. We've reached the end of the episode, but not the end of the issue. Please share this episode with your friends and family. If you have questions or would like to share your own issues and ideas, visit www.idahospeaks.com and click Share an Issue. Your state, your voice, Idaho Speaks.